So as we mentioned earlier in the service, we're in a series this summer called the Psalms of Ascent. We're actually calling it Worship on the Way. As we introduced the song that Abigail sang, it was a song of ascent from uh, the Psalms of Ascent is what we're in. Psalms and songs are hard words to keep saying back to back. But these are the songs that the people of God would have sang thousands of years ago as they approached Jerusalem that set up on a mountaintop and they would ascend the hill. Or they were sung as the children of God were in exile and they looked forward to returning to the land and ascending that hill. And so we've latched on to these Psalms of Ascent this summer because this year we're trying to emphasize worship. The vision of our church is a fourfold vision. It's, it's grace and worship and community and mission. And this year we're really trying to think more about worship. What does that piece mean? And so worship is certainly what we do as we gather here together. But we've entitled this series, Worship on the Way, and we're looking at the Psalms of Ascent so that we will remind ourselves that worship isn't just something we do here. The Psalms of Ascent were songs that they sang on their way to the house of the Lord, not the songs they sang when they were in the house of the Lord. So we want to be people that worship all throughout the week, all along our way. This week we're in Psalm 131, and so we're returning to this series. I want to say thank you to Stephen for his time in Psalm 127. Thank you to Matt in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 last week, and this morning we'll be in Psalm 131. I was first introduced to Psalm 131 to my memory a few years ago with a group of pastors. So Psalm 131 is a very short psalm. It's very simple. It's easy to just read over and then just keep on moving. But a few years ago, I was with a group of pastors. There's been four past, three pastors that I've been meeting with for the last, I don't know, maybe three years. Our meeting format is very simple. We meet once a month to pray for one another. We will share the burdens that exist within each of our lives or in each of our churches. And then we will pause after each one has shared and we will silently pray for one another and share one another's burdens in that way. But our time is led by one of the gentlemen, and he always kicks off the time with a scripture or a quotation of some sort. We listen to that, and then we pause, and we all take silence to talk to the Lord and, and, and meditate on his word and to approach this time together. So it was in that setting a few years ago that they read Psalm 131. And ever since then, I have been moved by it, and it's become one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. So I hope as we look at it this morning, you'll appreciate it as much as I do, but let me read it for us at this time. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth. And forevermore. Allow me to read it for you one more time, but this time close your eyes and just listen to the word of the Lord. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. It's a beautiful poem. We believe it was written by David. And it just hopefully reminds us of the humility, the humble posture that we should take in worship. After reading that poem this week, I was inspired to write a little poetry myself. 
And so I sat down and, and decided to write a poem. And so I'll share with you my poem. It's this. My heart is lifted up and I am full of pride. My eyes are raised very high in arrogance and I occupy myself with things that are great and marvelous. I have disturbed and upset my soul like a squirming, crying child with its mother. Like a squirming, crying child is my soul within me. If you're listening, the best advice I have for you is this. Hope in yourself. That should get you through today. So I don't get a lot of credit for the originality with the poem. I just took all of the words and tried to find the antonyms. But to try and help me make a point in my own heart and head that really what we're talking about in Psalm 131 is this humility. And a life that's full of pride and arrogance actually leads to a disquieted heart. It's loud and noisy, and you're not calm and resting in God's arms. You're restless and squirming and crying. And so we want that humility, not that pride. So the psalmist says that he doesn't want a lifted up heart and lifted up eyes, depending on what translation you like. Some of them just say very straightforward, like uh, pride. That's what he's talking about. This, the English Standard Version that I'm reading from, it has the poetic language of a lifted up heart and lifted up eyes. But the psalmist is just saying, I have tried to humble myself. I am no longer trying to be proud with all these eyes and heart raised up. So the problem is pride, and the solution is humility. Before we lean into the humility that's pictured for us here, let's just reinforce the problem of pride, because it's in all of us. We're a proud people. But here's the problem. It's a bit of a riddle. If you're a proud person, you can't spot the pride within yourself because you're too proud to admit that you are proud. So let me just remind us all that we are proud. All right? We could look at any number of things to illustrate this. Just let's pause and appreciate the fact that we're all so easily offended these days. All of us. We're just so easily offended because my opinion has become the most important opinion in the world. Whether you're watching it on the TV or you're just in your own personal interactions, it's this culture of like, well, what I think is more important than what you think. We live in a culture that's all very much likes to blame, right? Like nothing's my fault anymore. Everything is someone else's fault, not my fault. True story. It was uh, Friday at about 5.15 p.m. And I called Caroline and I was like, aren't we supposed to be somewhere at 6? And she said, yeah, we're supposed to be somewhere at 6. I'll be home soon and we'll all go together. And I said, that's great. Um, and so she gets home, I don't know, maybe like a little after 5.30, and she comes upstairs, and she's like, why aren't you ready? So I was in the bathroom about to have a shower, but I couldn't, I decided it was time to cut my hair. It had gotten too long. <laughs> and so I got this uh, electric shaver that Caroline got me for Father's Day, and I was trying to use it, and it kept getting jammed and clogged, and I didn't, I wasn't having a very fun time. And uh, so she's like, why aren't you ready? And I said, because the shaver you bought me keeps getting clogged. So eventually I finish and I get the shower and I get in the car and I'm like, oh my goodness, Caroline, it's six o'clock. We're supposed to be there right now. She's like, yeah, that's why I came home and I've been waiting for you to go. And I said, well, I would have been ready, but the shaver you bought me keeps getting clogged. And she said, let me try to understand this. You're telling me that we're late because of a shaver I bought you. And I said... Yes. Thank you for listening. I appreciate that. That's what I'm saying. Um, anyways, we, bl we blame one another. At the heart of that is pride. That's the root of it. We're in a culture that ignores God. 
We prioritize our stuff over whatever might be on God's agenda, right? That's pride. We're very much a culture of entitlement. I have rights to things, right? As Americans, we're real big on our rights. We have these high levels of anxiety that exist in our culture today. And there's other things at the root of anxiety, but one of the roots of anxiety can be the fact that we put ourselves at the center of the universe. And if you put yourself at the center of the universe, then guess what comes with that? A whole big weight of the world is on you. And so we have high levels of anxiety because at the root of this, this is, there's a sense of pride. We have a spirit of discontent that's among us. There's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough space. There's never enough stuff. So we buy bigger houses to hold bigger stuff and more stuff. And it won't fit in the house. And it won't fit in the garage. And we have whole industry of storage units because there seems to be a bit of a spirit of discontent. Amongst all these illustrations we could give, we haven't even touched our obsession with screens, which is probably the most distinctive feature of our society today. And I think if you dig down, you're going to find a root of pride in that. I heard someone saying this week, remember the good old days whenever our engagement with screens was dictated by the TV guide? And if your show was on at 7 p.m., your show was on at 7 p.m., and you had to be home and ready to watch it or else you didn't see it. There was no recording it. You couldn't go back and watch it. You had to be at home in front of your television to watch it. A sense of which we were drawn together in a sense of community and humility and that like, I don't control it. I have to do what I have to do. The TV guide says so. And now think about our screens. Listen, I want to watch what I want to watch, when I want to watch it, where I want to watch it. And the last thing I want to do is watch a commercial, right? So whatever topic we decide to dive down into, you're going to find a root of pride. And it's not unique to Americans in 2023. It was the very first sin in the world. Matt reminded us of that last week. Satan was up in heaven with God before the creation of the world. And he wanted to be like God. And so he was cast down from heaven. And where does he pop up? On the first pages of the Bible as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And what does he tell Eve? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Eat the fruit, and you will be like God. So pride has been at the root of sin since the beginning of time. And it continues to be at the root, I believe, of every sin we commit. Fundamentally, you dig down deep enough, every sin we commit is us saying, I, My way is better. My way is better. I know you're God, but my way is better. There are sins of commission, sins of omission. Matt told us about that last week. So some sins we say, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit this sin. And when we decide to commit a sin, it's because we're saying, my way is better. I know you want me to do this, but I'm going to commit this sin. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Sins of omission are things we omit from our lives. So I know I should do this, God, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want instead. And so this pride leads to sin. And pride is the problem and humility is the solution. Pride is illustrated in the poem, hearts up, eyes up. As we've talked about since throughout this year, the posture of worship, the word worship often used in scripture, is not heart up, eyes up. It's literally this. The word when translated is eyes to the ground, face to the ground. Like this is the picture of worship in the Bible. The exact opposite of what the psalmist well, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I don't want eyes up. I don't want heart up. I want down. I want the posture of worship. I don't want to be proud. 
So he's pursuing humility. And he goes on to say, I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. Now he's not, saying, he's not encouraging ignorance or, or indifference. Think about David, who, who we believe wrote this. He was the king of Israel. He certainly had better occupy himself with great and marvelous things. He's managing a whole kingdom and a whole lot of people. So certainly David was familiar with occupying his mind with great matters. You read through scripture, you're supposed to occupy yourself with great matters. It says in scripture that we should pursue the knowledge of God. We're supposed to grow in the knowledge of God. There's nothing greater or more marvelous than the knowledge of God. You're supposed to go out in in nature and marvel at creation. So he's not saying that we should never occupy ourselves with great and marvelous things. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Well, he is, in a poetic way, just restating a spirit of humility, isn't he? He's just saying, there are things that I can't understand. There are things that are out of my control, and I am going to trust in God and confess that there are things that are beyond me. He's just echoing the words of, from Isaiah 55, 9, when God said, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so you go out at night and you see the stars. See how high they are above you? God says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my thoughts are above your thoughts. That's how high my ways are above your ways. So the psalmist David is simply saying, there are things that I cannot understand that are too great and too marvelous for me. And so as I pause And I'm in your presence, God. I'm not occupied with things that are too marvelous. I'm going to humble myself. I can sit around all day, every day, and try to occupy myself with this question. Why did God allow the fires to break out in Hawaii? I can sit around and occupy all my time and try to figure out, so what exactly happened when God said, let there be light? I can sit around and think, well, how do I solve this riddle? God chose me before the foundations of the earth. And yet, I choose to follow God. How does that work? So we should certainly pursue these things, right? We should certainly think about these topics. Scripture wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. But certainly there comes a time in our lives where we have to fall to our knees and surrender to the facts, surrender our hearts, surrender our eyes, and say, God, I can't understand it. I can't understand you. Your ways are higher than mine, and your thoughts are higher than mine, and I'm going to surrender to the fact that you are wiser than I am, and I'm going to trust you. And you know what I would like to do, God? I'd like to just curl up in your lap like a child. Curled up on his lap, content like a weaned child in the arms of his mother. That's the next verse. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is the faith that's described by Jesus in Matthew 18, 3 to 4. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like, a ch- like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What we're pursuing in this psalm and in our lives of faith is the faith of a child. We just came back from a vacation in um, Canada. We've talked about it over the years. Caroline's family has a cottage in northern Ontario that's right on a lake. And we've been going up there for many years. Uh, There's a dock that goes off of their property out into the water. And so we spend a lot of time on that dock. 
Maybe when I'm standing in it, the water goes up to here, so we're jumping off the dock and playing in the water off the dock. So for the last 12 years, we've been going up there with kids, and every year for the last 12 years, when we're up there with kids, one of them says to me, Daddy, catch. And I stand in the water, and they jump to me. First it was Rosie, and then it was Henry, and now we're in Violet's stage, where I stand in the water, and she jumps into my arms. And that is a illustration of what it means to have childlike faith. They can't swim. They're in control. They can walk and they can navigate the dock. But as soon as they jump into that water, it's out of their control. It's a space where they're no longer safe. But they jump from the dock, from safety, into a place that is not safe for them. Why? Because they trust the arms of their father. They trust that their father is in the water and will catch them and will hold them. And that's childlike faith. Jesus says, unless you have faith like a child, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless we can humble ourselves. And that's, that's what we want to pursue. And he says, though, in the psalm, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now that is, what, that is something that everybody wants. So if you have people in your life, you're like, oh, I just wish I could... I could talk with them about the Lord. I wish I could reach out to my friend or my neighbor or my coworker. I think this is what everybody wants. We live in a very anxious society. Everybody wants to have their calm and quiet soul. So how do we do that? If David were here, he's writing this psalm. He'd say, David, how do we do that? David might have ideas. He, he might say, well, you know, I'm a musician. I play the harp, and I was able to calm and soothe King Saul's soul with music. And so music is a really important element. David also might say, well, I was a shepherd much of my life. I spent a lot of my life outdoors. And so being outside in nature, like that's really key. We don't know what David would say. We can only imagine. There's lots of good strategies for how to calm and quiet our soul. You can look this up and there's all kinds of interesting resources and good strategies. There's breathing exercises. I think it's relevant. Location matters. Your posture is important. For some, medication is valuable. For some, there are techniques like visualizing, relaxing places. Maybe there is calm music you can listen to. There are good strategies for quieting your soul. I'm not talking about those this morning. I want to get to the root. As we already sang, our foundation, the rock that we build our life on is Christ. So there's lots of good strategies for calming and resting and find quieting your soul. I'm interested this morning from Psalm 131. What's the foundation? Where are we starting from? What are you stacking your techniques on top of? If you were an alcoholic and you're like, I want to get rid of the alcoholism, there would be all kinds of strategies you could employ in order to get rid of the alcoholism in your life. But if you walk into an AA meeting, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, we've got 12 steps, but here's the foundation. Here's steps one and two. You are powerless. You're powerless. And step two, there is a power that is greater than you that can restore you. It's the foundation in which we approach this calming and quieting of our souls. What is at the foundation? At the foundation is this. You can't. You can't calm and quiet your soul. If you, if you or a friend is like, that's what I want, please tell me how. I'll come to your church. I'll do your thing. If you can just tell me how I can find calm and rest for my soul, you should tell them you can't. You're powerless to do it. And on that foundation stone, with that as step one, now we're ready to talk about how we can calm and quiet our soul with all of us surrendering to the fact that we can't. We're like babies. You set a baby down on the floor 
What can the baby do for himself, herself? She can't do anything. She can't move. She can't communicate. She can't feed herself. She can't care for herself. And if you leave her there long enough, she will die. And that's what we're like. We're like children. We're like babies. We are dependent upon Jesus. And unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And with that foundation, if we can start there, then we can begin to calm and quiet our spirit as babies, safe in the caring and nurturing and loving arms of God, resting in him, depending upon him, finding contentment in in him. The great church father, uh, Augustine, said this over a thousand years ago. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The psalmist makes a good point, though. He says that we're supposed to be like a weaned child. So a weaned child is not at her mother's breast seeking milk. A weaned child no longer expects milk from her mother. A weaned child is simply content and comforted to be held by her mother. So that should cause us to ask this question. Is my soul able to be with God like a weaned child? Am I able to simply be in God's presence without asking for things? Am I able to rest in God's presence without agenda? Am I able to humble myself and be held in the arms of God as a weaned child? I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, God's love constrains us. I love that sentence. I don't know how long it's been since you've held a baby. Maybe it's a long time or a short time. I think some people might be holding babies right now. But God's love constrains us like when you're holding a baby. The love of the mother constrains the child, doesn't it? So you can't move. And and there's love and comfort in the constraint of a mother's embrace. And God's love constrains us. You can find comfort in the constraint or, or we can squirm like crazy and scream and cry and arch our back and flail to get free. And we've all been with God both ways. Both ways. And the psalmist is saying, let's not do it. Let's not squirm and cry and shout. Let's be content to simply be in the presence of God. The imagery of Psalm 131 is that we resist pride and we surrender our control. We humble ourselves. We pursue a childlike faith and we calm and quiet our souls by approaching God like a child, seeking the comfort and constraint of his embrace. We rest in his presence like a weaned child is our soul within us. And then the last verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The Hebrew word that David is using there for hope is the word yachal. And yachal means wait, hope, expect. So he's saying, oh Israel, wait, wait on the Lord. He's saying, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. And he's saying, oh Israel, expect the Lord. Expect him. Expect him now and expect him forever. Expect the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. That's what he's telling them as he wraps this all up. So, so what are you putting your hope in as you read that verse? Are you putting your hope in the Lord or are you putting your hope in something else? 
So we hope in all kinds of things, right? Like we hope for a raise, we hope for a new job, we hope for a vacation, we hope for a winning season. Those are all good things, and we, sh- we can hope in those things. There's no problem with that. That's a good. I hope for vacation. It's a good gift from God. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is God saying, what are you hoping in now and forever? Right? The, the raise is temporary. The job is temporary. The vacation is temporary. The winning season is temporary. All of it's temporary. The question for you isn't, what are you temporarily putting your hope in? The question is, what are you putting your hope in now and forever? You should be able to dig down deep and see at the root of your faith is God. You're hoping in the Lord so that when you don't get the raise, you can hope in the Lord. Or when you do get the raise, you can hope in the Lord. And when you get the job, you can hope in the Lord. And when you don't get the job, you can hope in the Lord. So we remind ourselves that pride is the problem and humility is the solution. Humility comes as we trust in the Lord and we hope in him. In our pride, we have become a people that are consumed with ourselves, consumed with our own health. I, got, I have good health. I have resources. I have plans that are working out. And so in the midst of this life that I lead, in which I have good health and good plans and good effort and good resources, God is saying to me in Psalm 131, hey, hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel, can I get your attention? Oh, Christian, can I get your attention? Oh, Matthew, can I get your attention? Things are going well and you have good health and you have good resources, but hey, hope in the Lord. But if you didn't get the raise and you didn't get the job, And if you're in poor health and your plans are not working out and your resources are in decline, then God is saying, oh, hope in the Lord. Listen to me. Listen. Let me get your attention. Hope in the Lord, not in all of those other things. Humble yourself like a child and hope in the Lord. As we close... I was reminded this week of James chapter 4, verse 10, because I think it's just a beautiful compliment to Psalm 131. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So if you become like a child, if you become like a baby, totally dependent, well, then God's going to scoop down, and the arms of the loving Heavenly Father is going to lift you up. And you're going to be safe in his arms. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't done, for him, he hasn't done himself. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn from me. He says, learn from me. I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Do you realize that Jesus applied Psalm 131 in ways that no one else can? Jesus was in heaven with the Father, with all power and all authority. And he became a child. He was born of a woman. Jesus is saying, hey, look at me. Learn from me. I had all the power and all the authority in all the world, and I literally became a baby. And I experienced all that you experience. And I trusted. And I was humble. 
says in Hebrews 12 too, we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus humbled himself and was born of a woman, and then he humbled himself and hung naked on a cross, enduring the shame, despising the shame. And what happened after he was laid low into a tomb? God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, exalted and lifted up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't done himself. We look to him. Amen. Well, thank you so much for singing with us, for coming out this morning. As we go, as promised, we do have a slide. You can access that right now, media content. Uh, at any time throughout this today and this coming week as we go our benediction is just simple as hopefully the morning has been oh church hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore amen